Hi, I'm Amelia. And I'm Sophie. And this is So Ma So Good, a Fruits Basket Reboots podcast. Here we discuss the reboot of Fruits Basket. We try and keep this podcast spoiler-free, but sometimes we slip up. So in the description, there will be spoiler warnings and content warnings. Let's enjoy this episode. So this is episode 15. Yes. Yeah. This episode was great. It was really good. This is my favorite episode this season outside of, like, the beach house stuff mm-hmm. where I, I don't know. There, This was also, they, I'd say this was, like, up there with, like, the best beach house episodes. Mm. Um, in, in my humble, in my humble onion, I was a huge fan of this episode. It did a lot of things for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really good. I mean, it had everything. It had uh, Shigure and Mayu being uh, really sort of spicy to each other. Um, it had trauma. Um, <laughs> it had teens. Uh, it was great. I had a great time. Um, yeah. It had brotherly love. Um, it did. It had everything. It really did have everything. Um, well, it didn't have my favorite character, but... <laughs> Your favorite is are you talking about like Kyo's little friends? <laughs> no, but I wish they were in the episode I was talking about Akito. Oh right, 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 right. Who was like uh, not gonna be in the rest of the season, so I just should accept that now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. Soph. It's um, hard to be a lesbian. It is. <laughs> um I mean I'm also a lesbian, but Whatever sort of, like, brain worms I have makes me... You're a lesbian with better taste. (laughs) (laughs) So we, when we were talking about our notes before we started recording, um, we said we both, the only note we made about the cold open was about Toru's character, and I was wondering if it was the same note. What was your note? What did you say Uh, I like that there's just this, like, little consistent thing she does where she will often respond out loud to, like, her internal train of thought, but to outsiders it sounds like a total non-sequitur, and I just think that's a cute little consistent thing she does that, like, adds a little life to her personality and character. That was not the note I made, but it is a note I made from later in the episode when she's talking about- Yeah. Uh, But the note I made was just about how, like, Toru- in the cold open, but also, like, throughout the episode, has kind of officially stepped into the mother role for Yuki. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's doing everything that a mother is supposed to do for Yuki. Um, and, like, now that the beach house arc is over, like, that is becoming, like, very apparent. They really both have mommy issues, but in very different ways. Yeah. Like, exceedingly different ways. I mean, they kind of have some overlap with, like, abandonment issues tied to their mommy issues, but in, like, still from a very different place. It's, Um, yeah, it's very different. Because Kyoko is the MVP and Yuki's mom shall burn in hell. Yeah. Um, I would like to shout out Uo for always being just a delightful lesbian. I... Uh, I love that it's like, she's like, yeah, I'm gonna go into the workforce, and they're like, do you have any idea? And she's like, well, my crush said I could be a model, so, like, that sounds pretty good to me. Um, she's so iconic. I feel like she could be a model. Like, she's really tall and mm-hmm. beautiful. I guess she has kind of, like, theoretic- I mean, it's an anime, so, like, you can't actually see her, like, 
features with any real sort of clarity, but, like, I guess she's supposedly scary looking, but <laughs> I feel like that's sometimes a look that people go for with models kind of severe looking, you know? I think Uo yeah. could be a model. She I think that's not a bad a idea. I can relate to Hana's goal of escaping to a foreign country. Uh, Hana, my advice for you is stay in the country you're in. i'll come to you because (laughs) yeah yeah she's very i love how unambitious hana is i think it's a really funny uh choice um i think hana as just like uh your goth housewife with psychic powers is like a really fun it sounds like a like a sitcom that someone would come up with on tumblr and then would scam people with a Kickstarter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, Kickstarter scams aside, it's still a really delightful concept. And I love Hanajima. Yeah, she's the best. They're both so good. And I like that they showed us, like, two normal fucking Normal, quote-unquote. I think her parents are- I Like, Uo and Hana, like- I mean, Uo doesn't have the best home situation, but, like, it's more normal than everyone else's. Even if it's not great. It's, like, it's bad, but in a way that's, like, kind of normal bad. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, Hana's parents are great. We love Hana's parents. Oh, yeah, they're the best. The Hanajimas are the best. Hands down. Yeah. Um, honestly, Toru should have let them adopt her. Um. Literally. She would have been vibing. Like, the Hanachimas are, like, loving. They would have supported her. They wouldn't have been dicks to a 15-year-old orphan. Like... That's true. Unlike some people. <laughs> um, and then we get... I was so freaking excited for the... For Toru's parent-teacher conference. <laughs> so funny. So funny. Oh, Just... what did I even have to say about it? Just, like, Shigure's reaction... To Mayu's reaction had me fucking rolling. It's- they know- they know each other- like, Shigure knows exactly what he wants from her, which is, like, I want her to, like, look at me with supreme hatred, and (laughs) so he's sitting there, like, fucking sparkling and being, like, delighted, and Mayu is like, I will wring this man's neck. It's so funny how often Shigure just goes out of his way to piss people off. I think it's great. She, it's, it's, it's another good example of, you know, sometimes Shigure has these, like, complex motivations and schemes and stuff, and sometimes he does stuff purely because he thinks it's funny. Exactly. And I love that. That's a relatable thing for him. Or for, like, I, you know, sometimes I'll just, just do stuff for shits and giggles, man. Yeah, sometimes it's a good you just reason. have to fuck around and find out. <laughs> That's like what he does, he fucks around and finds out. He really does. Speaking of his motivations and making people uncomfortable, I had a note that was actually about that. Which was the, his line where he asked Toru to become his wife so that she doesn't have to move out. Which she, which Shigure obviously says. One, because he knows Toru's gonna have a reaction to it because it's Toru. And two, because he knows it's gonna piss Mayu off. But I also think that, like... Deep down, like, I don't- I think Shigure kind of wants her to stay. Like, I think he's, like, he's sad, like, when she moves out. Yeah. I think he really loves Toru. Also, he doesn't know how to take care of himself. That is also 100% true. Like, Toru really has to care for, like, three men. Um, cause 
I mean, Kyo is competent, uh, theoretically, but Yuki and Shigure don't know how to fucking take care of themselves. No, they're hopeless. I also thought, like, another thing where- this was, like, later on after the thing, but it was when, um, Toru and my- Toru and, like, uh, Hana and Uo are talking, where- Hana says something like, Toru is so nice, it makes Shigure feel kind of bad for, like, it, like, guilts him into being kind to her, which I think is true. Oh, I think that's 100% true. Like, I feel like he loves fucking with people, and he does fuck with Toru, but never in a particularly mean way. It's just, like, he flusters her the same way that, like, Yuki would. Um, Yeah. No, yeah, that's true. Like, Shigure fucks with Yuki and Kyo in a way that is, like, really hurtful. Um... (laughs) Like, he does, he says shit to them because that he knows that it's gonna really hurt them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, like, the way he talks to Toru, it's just, he's just like, oh, you're pretty, you're cute, like, you're adorable, I love you, Toru. Like, yeah. <laughs> it is very similar to Yuki because he does flirt with her. Except yeah. it's nasty because he's Shigure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's um, cute when Yuki does it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, I, yeah, Toru's just such a sweetheart that Shigure is like, man, I can't be that big of a dick to this kid. Like, <laughs> she's never done anything mean ever in her life. I can't do this. Um, she does all of my laundry. Like, that would be pretty <laughs> fucked up. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh. the diamond dust. The the line about the diamond dust is one of the things that I remember from Fruits Basket. Like, like, like when I haven't read it for a while, that scene where she's talking about diamond dust is just so memorable. It was so funny in the anime. I really um was looking forward to that line because it's again like Toru just saying shit that just makes no fucking sense because it's like in her head and she's just saying it out loud. She's a space cadet, and I love that about her. She's very much, like, she just, like, goes on these little adventures in her mind, and then she comes back to reality and spits out the end of her, like, train of thought, and everyone's like, what are you saying? Like, I think I wrote down, she does this, like, four times, no, three times in this episode. The first is with, like, she's like, I'm gonna meddle, and Yuki's like, (laughs) what are you talking about? Because she she doesn't explain her reasoning at all, and then she talks about the diamond dust, and Shigure's like, sweetheart, I don't know what the fuck you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last one is she's like, we should- it's like the Soman, and, and Hana and Uo are like, I don't know what Soman has to do with this at all. And she, that one she does try to explain herself, but yeah. uh, she's cute. She's very she she's she's spacey. Yeah, Takai is good at giving characters little details that are like not a huge like aspect of their personality or something. It's just like something little that they do that they consistently do throughout the story that I think really makes her character seem a little more lifelike. I got the word for it. Idiosyncrasies. They have good idiosyncrasies. You're right. The flashback during the parent-teacher conference with Shigure, there's like a small flashback to Rin and Shigure's conversation, which I was surprised they put in the episode, um, which was very beautiful, by the way. Yeah. The shot of them in the room. And I liked that they included it because it's Rin asking him if people are just things to him, and then Mayu saying to Shigure that he's not kind to the people that he loves. And I think, like, that whole, like, that is very, it's just very indicative of his character, and I like that people, like, say it to his face, and that Mm -hmm. he doesn't care. And it really, like, I don't know, like, it just shows us that 
like these two sides of Sugar Ray where like he clearly is a manipulator and he does view people as tools to get what he wants but as we can see from the way that he interacts with Toru in this scene he does also care about her yeah it's also I liked that she's like you're not kind to the people you love as like a callback to that interaction with Akito where Akito was like you're not kind enough to me and that pissed him the fuck off Ooh, that's a good connection I didn't make that yeah so I think that like on some level, like, he has this conversation with Mayu, and she's like, hey, you need to not be, um, a sleazeball, and he's like, hey, I'm actually, like, looking out for these kids, and, like, you know, I think I'm actually being pretty good to them, which is true. Like, he is, like, housing these three traumatized teenagers out of his own good will, and, like, letting them kind of chill in his house and work their shit out. And even though he fucks with them all the time and sometimes is exceptionally mean to Yuki and Kyo, for the most part, is, like, a pretty chill dude. So he is, like, objectively being kind. Um, but then she's like, yeah, but you're, like, still a dick. And he's like, yeah, but that's just my personality. And I think on some level, like, for the most part, he's fine with this aspect about himself. But I think sometimes it does frustrate with frustrate him when people don't see that he does do things to be kind but like and that he does care about people but it's just he's also a weird manipulative person and so yeah. it's i don't know he's a very nuanced character and i think like this i don't think his reaction was totally like yeah this thing you said to me doesn't bother me at all because it reminds me of that thing where akito is like you're not kind to me and shigure was like not having it yeah um um, I rewatched that episode last night, and he's literally seething in that scene. But I think, like, like it's that Mayu says it to him that he just doesn't care. Like, he might yeah. care, but he's really good at hiding what he's feeling. And because it's Mayuko, it's not like he really cares what she thinks about him. But obviously yeah. he cares what Akito thinks about him. Yeah. He, he doesn't care about his, like, persona, but yeah. he does care about select things. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, Shigure, I fucking love Shigure. Ugh, such I love a him good so character. Much. There's like, so there's good. no one out there doing it like him. Like, Literally. There's not, a, there's not another character that, like, is the same kind of character that Shigure is. Yeah. I also yeah. think, I don't know, it's, it's like a pretty, like, I go back and forth between Shigure and Yuki with this, but I think Shigure is the most interesting character in Fruits Basket. His motivations are just really, really complicated, and everything he yeah. does is really multi layered. Yeah. Also, the fact that he's, like, not- the fact that he's, like, on the wrong side also, I for me, makes him more interesting. Yeah. That's a- that- that's on brand. Um, yeah, that's on brand for me. <laughs> I love a good villain. I wouldn't yeah. say Shigure's a villain, but it's not a good guy. But that's also, like, what makes him good, is that he's, like- Right. Not- he's, he's like, an antagonist, but he's also sort of a, not really an antagonist. He's riding in this weird space as, like, someone that's, like- guiding the plot but not with like good intentions but not also against the main character like he's not an antagonist in the sense he's working against the protagonists but yeah. he's not a protagonist either yeah. he's just kind of doing his own thing for his own reasons he's just like walking in a different direction if, if like there's a force moving from the right and a force moving from the left he's like going like diagonally like at a like off somewhere <laughs> else like we just love a morally gray, nips out kind of dude. <laughs> <laughs> we really do. 
We we truly we truly <laughs> truly do. So that scene happened. Yeah. And it was funny and cute and good. Yeah. Uh and then we go Oh the montage no, it's a very small montage. The box thing happens right after this. The box thing. Yeah. Um I think this episode had a lot of like there's like lots of moments throughout this episode where I think they do like slightly more experimental things with the medium than they always do and I like it makes me wish they did more stuff like this so a it was a like because I think sometimes these kinds of things are a little jarring because it's like a little out of place relative to the sort of baseline of the show so I wish they did more of it because I really like this stuff and I wish it was like a more consistent aspect of the storytelling and like the visual storytelling but um I like that Tori I like Tori's repression box yeah <sighs> Uh, and that she has this flashback that then fades these or these little micro flashbacks that yeah. you said you took a bunch of notes on. I did no such thing. Um, but yes, let's start with just like let's start the spoilers now, get them over with, and then I can I'll put the timestamp. Yeah. So it's that she was abandoned by her father, which caused her to be abandoned by her mother. And then re-abandoned by Kyoko again when she dies, connecting to that she's afraid that Kyo will abandon her, which ties back to the Akito flashback she had earlier in the episode about Kyo getting locked up. And she's, like, tying all of that together in, like, oh my god, everyone I love is gonna abandon me and there's nothing I can do about it. I can't think about this right now. I'm putting it in a box and smiling. Yep, that's Toru. <laughs> that's Toru. She's just like, I'm gonna lose- I've- I've already lost a bunch of people- and I'm going to lose more people, and I can't handle that, so we're gonna put that into a box and go eat some somen. Um, yeah. Which, like, it's good that she goes and eats somen with her friends, that's, like, a healthy thing, but also, girl, that box has to open sometime. Yeah. Uh, you're not gonna like it when it do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She really is probably the most repressed of the trio right now. Yeah, agree. And I love her friends. I know. They're so good. They look out for her. I have to say it. Kyo, I will fuck your dad. <laughs> God! Kyo, I will fuck your dad. <laughs> One of the funniest running jokes in Fruits Basket was born on this episode. Um, I mean, it was born in the manga, but now it begins. Um, Hana's journey to becoming Kyo's uh, stepmom. <laughs> so fucking funny. Later in the episode, and she's like, he, he has an older child, but I think I can handle it. And he's like, please don't. <laughs> Kyo's sitting there with his little, like, cat ears. It's just so fucking funny. I love when they make Kyo look like a wet cat. Like, oh my god, I just, I know. like, it never stops being good. It's so cute. I, do, I took one small note about the Kyo and Kazuma scene. It wasn't very long. But I, I like the focus that Kazuma puts on Kyo's future being his decision and his decision alone and reiterating that he's gonna support him no matter what. And it really shows, like, the stark difference of the kind of environments that Yuki and Kyo uh, grew up in. Yeah. I thought, I mean, I love, I love Kazuma. Um, he's a good dad. And I thought it was almost kind of ironic, because he says specifically, um, an adult has no right to deprive a child of their free will, which, like, A, is, like, contrasting against Yuki's mother, but also it's kind of, 
it's almost like ironic to say that to Kyo, who has literally been deprived of his free will. Yeah. Um, so it's like it's like I don't know. It's like a dig against Akito is almost what he's doing. Like yeah. this, this this motherfucker has no right to do this to my kid, um, and I'm doing everything I can. But right now, it's like all I feel like I can do about this situation is like tear my hair out. Um, so, but and I like that he acknowledges that Kyo is like dealing he's what he's dealing with as a teenager isn't normal mm-hmm. like it's not a normal thing for a 16 year old to cope with and so he's like just like tell give me an answer eventually it's not like you have to be thinking about this now like you have to take your future seriously or whatever he's like this kid is dealing with a mountain of shit and i just want him to have like a sliver of hope and i want him at some point to come to me with like hope for his future but I'm not putting a timeline on this. I'm not putting any expectations, like, because I understand that he's dealing with, like, a whole world of shit that a normal teenager doesn't have to. And I think that that really shows that, like, Cosma is attentive to Kyo and attentive to, like, what he's going through. And uh, also, I think a really stark contrast to Yuki's mom, where she refuses to acknowledge that, like, Yuki is trying to build his life up from a totally different place that, like, a normal 16-year-old would be building from. She's, like, trying to whatever, throw all of these expectations on him instead of, like, and he has to actively push those away and instead give himself the permission to work from where he's starting instead of where he feels like he's supposed to be starting or where his mom feels like he should be working from. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Kazuma, Kazuma's a good dad. He's a good dad. Yeah, he's a, he's, he's just good. He's a good dad. Um, also, Kyo was in love. That is true. I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah. There, there's <laughs> just, I don't there's know a, what you're referring to. <laughs> there's, there's just a little scene where Kyo's like, I have so little time left. And then he's like, oh, thinking right. about Toru. And then Toru, like, rolls, or Uo sh- throws a shoe at his head, which he catches with oh, his yeah. cat-like reflexes. And she's like, let's have Soman. And he smiles, and he's like, that is the love of my life right there. And I'm going to go eat noodles with her. And I'm like, absolutely right, you funky little cat. <laughs> Kyo has a speaking of that moment actually Kyo has a lot of really good hand shots they're very into Kyo's hands in particular um partially because of the bracelet but like I think like I mean making it a bracelet is great because like it's you know this like ever-present burden on him that he has to look at every day but also like the whole um it's very anime but I like it like clenching your fist like, because your hands are the things that you can use to make change, and even though he's, like, chained by this thing, he can still use his hands to make change regardless of that. Um, and they had some good hand shots in that scene for that. Yeah. Sophie really be uh, going wild with the hands, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I believe I saw some kind of screenshot on her desktop that was just, like, hands. I don't know. Also doors. It's like doors. doors and hands city in Sophie's head. I have doors and hands. <laughs> um. I can't resist a motif, but it's Kyo. Kyo has good hands, and then they do Akito's hands a lot too, which again I really like because of the implication of using your hands to make change, but also using your hands to control. Um, mm-hmm. 
But those two characters in particular, they got a lot of hand shots. No one else really. Yeah. Also, we're homosexuals, and homosexuals <laughs> universally have hand kinks. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so then we go home, and we have this cute little scene with everyone um, in their house. And then, uh, did you have anything to say about that? Because I had something to say in conjunction I mean, we were already kind of talked about Kyo looking like a wet cat and them joking about Hana trying to be a stepmom. And it's just, it's cute and wholesome and I love teen antics. I just, I love that they're all friends. Yeah, At this point, like, they're, even though it's like they don't all necessarily get along the same, like, at the end of it, Toru has, like, united all of her friends into, like, a happy friend group that all likes to hang out with each other, and it's very sweet. They're all very cute and very comfortable with each other. Like, I love, like, Uo and Kyo sitting next to each other at the table, and she's, like, jostling him. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, Yuki and Toru, like, in the kitchen. Um, but, like, I loved, like, that that scene, it went directly from, like, this cutesy shot of the two of, of Yuki and Toru to this long this like long shot of Yuki on the phone in the hallway and it's just he's in dark. his little rat corner dark. so dark and like it really like goes to show like how what a just talking to his mom puts it in such a dark place and it's yeah. in such contrast to the scene that happened right before it no what I really really liked about that because I made a note of this hallway shot too um is that it's like this visual where it's just him on the phone and I mean they purposefully parallel this but like I even made this note before they showed the image of him in the room in the corner as like a kid Mm. but like this shot of him in the dark hallway on in the corner with his mom is like the exact parallel to all of the shots we see of him in like the dark room in the corner as a kid and so it's just the way that talking to just talking on the phone to his mom immediately brings him back to that place emotionally I have no idea how I didn't make that connection. That's so fucking true. Yeah, that's why That's why I said his little rat corner earlier. Yeah. Um, well, the visual language of the reboot's really good. I mean, the visual language of Fruits Basket is really good, so. Um, Just, like, in general. Yeah. So that was, I really, I really, really liked that scene. I really liked that it was, like, directly showing the way that his mother brings him back to that place he was traumatized. Yeah. I, another, like, way that they did that also that I really liked is, skipping ahead, like, a little bit, um, is that, like, after he watches his mother get out of the car, the very next scene when they're at the school, he coughs. Yeah. Because he's just, like, it's, everything is coming back to him, and it's all these physical sensations of things that he hasn't let himself think about in years are coming back to him, and that's one of them. Yeah. I liked that they included that. Yeah, let's talk about this scene outside of the school. Oh boy. Good facial expressions. Thank you, yeah. Reboot. Uh, I thought the close-up of Yuki with his eyes just, like, empty as mm-hmm. he's watching her the first time really shows just, like, the, like, sheer amount of despair he's feeling. He's, yeah. like, really in a dark place in this entire episode. I think it's, like, one thing I like about Fruits Basket, um, and, like, this is what the scene, like, kind of reminded me of is, like, it definitely embraces that progress isn't linear when you're, yes. like, recovering from abuse. Yeah. And that, like, even though Yuki is, like, miles better than when we first met him, it's still, like, when he has to deal with, like, a really, like, re-traumatizing situation like this, it, like, pushes... He he, he takes a couple steps backwards, sort of, where he's just, like, 
starts shutting down, starts going to a really dark place, starts having all of these flashbacks, starts becoming, like, way more withdrawn, way more, like, he retreats into himself a lot. And I just, I like showing that, like, even if you've made a lot of progress, you can have these moments where you still get brought really low again and then pick yourself back up and keep moving forward. Hard agree. Um, let's talk about this flashback. Rough. Oh my god, this flashback. Um, the way that Yuki's mom talks to him, I mean, in general, but also in this flashback, is so cold. And, like, I like I think her, like, signature thing is just being, like, you can't think for yourself, I have to make all your decisions for you, your opinions don't matter and hold no weight to me. Um, which I, she does over and over again, and I think that this whole scene, like, really just encapsulates the, like, amount of, like, just neglect and dehumanization that um, he experiences in his childhood and how that those things, like, reflect on the way that he feels about himself in the present. I also, what I, I don't know, quote-unquote liked, but, like, one thing I thought was really well done in this scene was, like, not only was her response exceedingly cold, but it was also, like, totally dissonant and, like, disconnected to what Yuki had just said to her. Like, it wasn't even a response that even, like, necessarily made sense, because it just, like, it really showed that she wasn't, like, deliberately ignoring everything he just said. Like, she was like, he's like, please take me home, I'm scared. And she says, isn't it nice that the, like, head of the family has taken a liking to you, like, run along? Like, she doesn't even respond to his request at all. Like, she doesn't say yes or no, she just pretends he didn't say it, and then sends him back to Akito. Which, I mean, is, I think a lot of this episode is exploring why Yuki went mute. Uh Uh-huh. Agree. Like, I think a lot of it is, like, exploring what sort of situations throughout his life pushed him to that extreme. And I think this is, like, a perfect example of the way that she, like, just refuses to hear him. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think, like, like refusing to hear him, like, not listening, like, having, being told that, like, your opinions, not even being told, but just, like, being shown that no one around you cares about your opinions, your thoughts, or your feelings um, was a pretty big, like, theme of this episode. And, like, yeah, I mean... I think it's understandable why, if you spend your entire childhood with that experience, why you would stop talking. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. One, like, visual thing that, I don't, I don't know if you, I don't know if you noticed this. Um, they show Yuki's feet in the flashback, and They're his like mother's red wearing on slippers, and his feet are really red, which, yeah, and, and, like, I, they clearly chose to do that for a reason. I don't. I don't know. The closest I could get to was maybe that his comfort is secondary to others. But, like, other than- I don't know, because, like, having bare feet is normal in Fruits Basket and also in Japan. So. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what that was trying to imply. Um, really. Maybe if I was Japanese, I would know what that was trying to imply. Maybe, yeah. um, (laughs) Tragically, I am American, so- Tragically. Uh, Tragically. (laughs) Not because I think that being Japanese is, like, the best or whatever. I'm not, like, one of those freaks. Um, I just hate living in America. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, this is not a podcast about why I hate America. There's lots of other people who do that. Um, Back to anime. Uh, 
back to anime. And yeah, and then we get out of the flashback with the shaky cam on his, like, cl- super close above his eye, and I thought that was really good. Yeah. Uh, they oh. made a lot of interesting, like, camera choices this episode, but I'll talk about it in the next scene. And then we get into just, like, the actual conference um, with Mayu. You know, I would like to shout out Mayu for being a good teacher. Like, even, like, before this, like, even with the other parent-teacher conferences, it's clear that she, like, cares about her students and cares about their well-being and is, like, looking out for them and trying to push them to, like, you know, care, like, value their future and do the best for themselves that they can, but she's also not, like, being... I don't know, condescending to anyone who isn't, like, trying to pursue a higher education or something. She's, like, taking them all very seriously and respectfully and looking out for them. Shout out to an actually good teacher who cares about her students' well-beings, unlike someone. (laughs) Um, I- oh, I did say that, um, Yuki interrupting his mom and talking back to her is I think that's very big of him and I don't think he would have been able to do it a year ago. I mean no. she immediately shuts him down and he understandably is not doesn't recover from that. Um yeah. but it's good to see him like fighting for trying. Yeah, to it's like it's like he's been like rallying for this, right? Like he's known this is coming and he's been trying to like prepare and like you know handle this uh and so he goes in I think trying to like prepared to try and fight for himself, but it's just like too much and he tries but then it has no effect and he starts to slip down yeah i really liked the way they did like the hate spiral that he goes that was down in the scene so good i loved the way the table like is lengthening through the whole thing yeah and all the shots where he's like clutching his chest it's like i feel like i'm it like i'm like i feel like he's having an anxiety attack and i feel like i'm having one too oh like, my god stop i thought the same exact thing that the forced perspective like and the yeah and the quick shots back to his face and like his chest like really like it really does communicate like what it feels like to just be like feeling like that yeah that was like definitely like one of my favorite like like when one of my favorite like camera tricks they've used so far i think it looked really yeah. fucking cool it's really good. It really got across, like, the emotion and, like, the just, like, the visceral feeling of it all. And then him in his head just, like, of course, his voice actor killing it as always. Always. Um, and he's, like, in his head just, like, chanting, like, desperately. Like, because, yeah, like I, I was saying, I think he's been rallying for this. And so he's, like, desperately in his head fighting to be, like, please say something, say something, say something, say something. And he just, like, can't. Can't, yeah. It's just, like, oh, what a gut punch of a scene. Yeah. Um, and also that uh, she's also, like, completely gaslighting him. And she does oh. it all the time. Um, but, yeah, it really speaks to, like, why he has issues, like, reaching out and uh-huh. letting people in. is because she's just, like, saying shit to him that's not true. And just make and like, just, the, I mean, that's his whole life. But, yeah. Yeah. There's a whole, like, flashback where his mom calls him, is like, you're a tool to me. Yeah, that's an insane thing to say to your child's face. She's so evil. Oh, she says, I mean, I I think the thing that she says to him at the end of the episode is even worse. Yeah. When she's like, I wish I had never given birth to the two of you, I think is like probably one of the worst things a parent can say to a child. Yeah, that's, that's brutal. I think that the tool thing stuck out to me more just because it was like, it was less like Takaya trying to find like the worst thing you can say to a child because I think that sentiment was like expressed 
by other parents in the show, you know, mm-hmm. like, this idea, especially with, like, the curse, you know, so it's, like, yeah. uh, it's not uncommon that, like, the parents of cursed children are, like, I wish I didn't have a fucking monster kid, and it's, like, okay, <laughs> freak, um, but, like, just the specific, like, total, like, callousness and, like, refusal to see anything wrong with the fact that she, like, is openly admitting to her child, like, Yuki was 13 or 14 when she says this to him, that she's like, yes, I use you as a tool. And then just, like, gets up and walks right by, and like, Yuki starts crying because he's a child and his mom is just like, I don't love you and I only use you for my personal gain. Like, that's an insane thing to say. She's, like, so excessively evil. Um, like, I think sometimes, like, parents are bad but they're like you can sort of understand why they say the shit they like it's like they're a little bit more human yuki's mom is like a fucking monster um yeah and i also like the tool thing like i like i say this a lot but like the the i mean the function of like them like turning into animals is a very like obvious dehumanization of the characters and the way that they like talk to each other and like call each other animal names is very dehumanizing and i like that takaya really like like puts like like her calling him a tool is dehumanizing in a different way but they like kind of like both tie together like he's born and she automatically thinks he's not a human Mm -hmm. what can i use him for yeah um and i think like that's a lot like obviously like all of them are dehumanized but like yugi is objectified in a way that the others are not yeah and it's also like ayami said kind of earlier is that like she was she failed to be able to use ayami like by virtue of his personality and i think honestly this episode gives a lot of insight into kind of why ayami is the way he is Mm -hmm. because if he grew up and like realized that his mother's reaction to him acting the way he does with this like super over dramatic personality is able to disarm her and protect himself then it makes sense that he would totally lean into it his whole life and like integrate that into his fundamental personality as a way to protect himself from his mother yeah i agree i also think that i am a is a narcissist and so is their mother and it's one of the reasons that she can't control him but Yuki is not yeah. a narcissist, and she made very sure that he wouldn't be by putting him down constantly. Yeah. Also, yeah. Uh, their mom is a homophobe. Yeah! Uh, <laughs> yeah, she is. She hates her gay sons. Um, <laughs> and, but I I don't know, there is, there is just something, like, when I watch it, and I watched, like, her, like, her immediate reaction of disgust to her, like, extremely outwardly flamboyant son, I just immediately read it as homophobia without, like, a second's hesitation. Oh, like, yeah, I don't know absolutely. if Takaya knew she was doing that, but, like, that immediately read as homophobia to me. You know she didn't, but it is what it is. Yeah. Just because she didn't like, know doesn't mean it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Takaya is fun because she, like, sort of knows gay people exists, but then she doesn't know all the times that she, like, writes extremely accurate, like, things about being gay into her characters, and then she makes them, uh, be heterosexual, and I'm like... Maybe maybe Takaya has some introspection to do herself. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, not to psychoanalyze. <laughs> not to psychoanalyze Takaya, but, um, girl, a lot of your characters are gay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, a lot of them. <laughs> so many. So many. Um, yeah, I, Yuki and Ayame have come so far with each other. So far. Like, I, Ayame really has, like, gone out of his way to show Yuki that he cares for him. Um, but, like, Yuki's also, on his end, come around to letting Ayame into his life and, like, starting to genuinely believe that, like, Ayame actually means it. Yeah. I think... I think this is, like, the first, like... Because Ayame has been constantly trying to do these grand gestures to prove his love to Yuki, and they've pretty consistently fallen flat because Yuki is like, this is meaningless and you're so annoying, please get out of my face. But this time, like, he was like, oh shit like you're gonna do this not even like even if it's still kind of a performance it's still something that's like i mean you're dealing with my mom with our mom who's insane so like this has to be hard and i think like it's it is i think something that i noticed is that after his initial sort of talking back to his mom and then he shuts down the next time he's able to talk back to her is in defense of Ayame. Oh, um, good note. So, and it's and I think it's partially a product of, like, Ayame comes in and Yuki's suddenly in awe of kind of the fact that his brother can, like, she, he's like, oh shit, my mom cannot control Ayame, like, at all. Like, he completely makes her freak the fuck out, which, like, A, kind of, like, makes his mom seem less scary, because he hasn't, I guess he hasn't really seen her unruffled before since she's constantly presented this extremely cool-headed, put-together persona to him. And so all of a sudden she sees her, he sees her, like, completely, like, lose her cool. Um, and so she suddenly seems a little more human to him. And then he's able to kind of be like, hey, my brother's not useless. So, A, I thought it was, like cool that like the first thing he's able to kind of start speak when he sort of gets his footing his feet back under him the first thing he does is he kind of repays the gesture of Ayami coming to defend him by defending him in turn and having this sort of solidarity with brothers and I think it was also their mother's reaction to that was super telling and the fact that she's like when the fuck did you guys start liking each other um and I definitely think that like even though Ayami is admittedly Kind of, like, the way he treated Yuki as a child was bad, but also Ayami was a teenager. Um, and I think this shows that, like, in all likelihood, I'm pretty sure their mom deliberately isolated them from each other because Ayami freaks her out, she doesn't know how to control him, and she didn't want him influencing Yuki. Yeah. Um, so, and Ayami was, like, A, a narcissist, and, like, B... Pro like dealing with his own shit and trying to protect himself as a teenager enough that like she probably didn't have to work that hard to keep them apart right um but the fact that now they're un a united front i think is terrifying to her for sure agree um shigure was the one who told ayame that the date got changed that was cute he does yeah. care he, he does care I think, I I also thought that Ayami immediately storming in and saying Yuki's precious future, I liked the wording, I liked that he's deliberately, like, even though he's a dramatic bitch, it still shows that he, like, is, like, Yuki's future has value and this is his decision, and even yeah. though he's a sparkling asshole, it's, like, he's still <laughs> genuine, 
he still does genuinely care about his brother. Yeah, he does. And he wants his brother to be able to make his own choices and be able to live a life that makes them happy. And I think Ayami already knows that to be happy uh, necessitated disappointing his mother. Mm -hmm. Um, And now Yuki is, like, on his way to that realization. Yeah. Um, Sorry, this is at the very beginning of the scene, but I just forgot to say it. The head pat. Ayami's head pat. So cute. And I think, like... It's, like, one of the only times I've actually really liked the shoujo bubbles. The shoujo bubbles. Because I think Yuki just is, like, really, like, relieved and happy. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he really thought he had to do this alone. And he's been psyching... Because, like, I think something that's good is, like, Yuki's been, like, really fighting to be, like, I have to fight for my happiness now. Like, I'm really grateful for the people that have come to support me. But, like, I have to, like, value my own happiness and push myself. And so he's been rallying to do this big, grand thing to, like, stick up for himself and push through, and then he's, like, flagging, and he's like, oh shit, I'm fucked. And then, once again, he's, like, shown love by the people around him that, like, when he's falling, his loved ones are gonna come and help him back up. Ugh, this was such a good episode. Oh, Yuki. I love that little rat boy. So much. And he is loved. You know Ayame is the world's worst double texter. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> the, Hell. the length of the text messages that he sends to Hatari, they're so long. <laughs> you know, he sends I, him 30 texts a day. I... I it, Truly, the only time I enjoy Hatari is in the context, context of, like, him dealing with, like, Shigure and Ayame, because it's, yeah. like, actually funny, and it's a good <laughs> dynamic. Uh, yeah. But I thought it was so funny watching Mayu be like, oh, this poor fucking man who has to deal with this, <laughs> this constantly. Um, and then he goes out in the hall. And I really like the moment when he realizes that his mother is smaller than him. Because I think mm-hmm. it's him realizing that she doesn't necessarily hold power over him anymore. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I think that moment super was. I think the first, like, he's built this, like, because as a child, she was this person that had, like, full control over him, right? Yeah. Um, And he had no power over and no way to, pr- like, protect himself or stand up to. Mm-hmm. Um, And then he first sees her kind of brought low by his brother, like, totally throwing her off her game. And then she loses her cool and storms out and he runs after her and he's like, oh, I'm bigger than her now. And it's this moment of realizing that, like, she's not this person who gets to control his whole life. She's just another woman. She's just, like, a person. And he doesn't necessarily have to let himself be controlled by her anymore. Yeah. Um, And I I like this narrative of the way Takaya chooses to deal with, like, an abusive parent a lot. Because I think sometimes stories will, like, try and push for, like, maybe a bittersweet reconciliation or whatever. And I like that in this, what it means for Yuki to, like, grow and, like, become a happy person is he just has to come to the realization that this is someone who hurt him, but she doesn't necessarily have the power to hurt him anymore. Um, And he can just move on with his life. And... That was good. Yeah. I thought, I don't know, this, like, scene with his mom reminded me a lot of, like, 
the experience of being like a very meant like a mentally ill teenager uh in like in trying to deal with adults who have expectations of you um where like they whatever you're 16 and people are like you need to figure out your life you need to whatever go to college figure your shit out like why are you so fucked up and you're sort of like futilely trying to be like hey I've been working really hard, and I'm really proud of myself for wanting to live. Yeah. And it's, like, what seems like, you know, a, the bare minimum achievement to, like, someone else, which is is this thing that Yuki's been working so, so hard for. This just, like, getting to a place in his life where he's, like, enjoys living and wants to keep living uh, has been, like, this momentous journey for him. But to an outsider, it's, like... It doesn't look like anything. It doesn't come with any awards. It doesn't come with a high GPA. It doesn't come with a medal you can show for it, which obviously means nothing to his super materialistic mother. Um, And so I think it's like, it really speaks to sometimes, I think the lack of appreciation that like people who are dealing with like trauma or like extreme mental illness and like how much work it takes to become a functional person when you're dealing with that, but how there's really no recognition of appreciation for, like, how momentous an achievement that is. Um, and him being like, you know what? No one's gonna- my mom's never gonna pat me on the back for this. People are, like, in the people in my life who do see what I've done and have seen the progress I've made are the people whose opinions I value, and me being happy means I'm gonna be a disappointment to my mother, and that's fine. And I just- I thought that was so well done. Yeah, that's a that was very insightful. Yeah, you know Takaya is mentally ill. <laughs> you know, you just know she is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, like some I've we've talked before, not about this, not even about Fruits Basket, about how sometimes it's hard to relate to people who were like not mentally ill in high school. Yeah, and it's like you know, Takaya was a mess of a teenager. Oh yeah, um, for sure she would not be able to write with this much depth and nuance about these kinds of experiences if she has lived a happy, easy, neurotypical life. Agreed, yeah. Well, at least she got something out of it, right? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And then, okay, so this little scene with Toru. Yeah. Yeah, I like, like, again, like, what you're saying, like, to, like, Yuki deciding to be happy and deciding that he is the one who's going to make decisions about his own life and his mother leaving and Toru immediately entering. Yeah, again, Mm -hmm. like, really solidifies, like, the kind of relationship that they're building now in Fruits Basket between the two of them, now that he has, like, realized that what he's feeling for her is not romantic love. But I was wondering why Toru takes the bow out of her hair. Uh... What, what I wrote down, I don't know if this is right, was that, was that it is, because, is that it's signaling a departure from a potentially romantic relationship with him, since the scene where he gives her the bow is, like, pretty romantic. It's from season one. Um, And moving on to a relationship where she, this is going to sound really heteronormative, but it's Fruits Basket, Um, (laughs) where she takes care of him instead of the other way around. 
which I think would be a more yeah. typical hetero relationship, uh, especially in Japan. That was my take on it, but I don't, like, know why she takes I it I don't off, know. Really. I thought of it more as, like, a... She sees... I don't know. She I don't know how much of the scene she sees with his mom. I At, at the very least, she probably sees her storm off. Yeah. Um, Which... But so, but then she like she sees Yuki, and he seems like he's doing okay. And then his like friend from student council comes and drags him off. Um, and then she takes the bow out of her hair. And I guess I mean to me, the bow was from this moment where Yuki. It's like the first time Yuki sort of like lets go a little bit in front of yeah, her. Yeah, no, it's, it's like, definitely it's, the first time he like has emotions in front of her. Yeah, he laughs. Like, real emotions. Um, yeah. It's, like, the first time where he sort of, yeah, lets himself, I don't know, be a fucking human being in front of another human being. Um, so I think the ribbon is just kind of, like, a symbol of, like, that's, this is where he was, like, last season, where it was, like, the biggest thing that he did was, like, he was able to laugh in front of another person, mm-hmm. and now it's, like, he just stood up to his mother and, like embrace that he needs to like fight for his own happiness and he doesn't need her approval and she can't control him anymore which is just like so far it's like he's come leagues and leagues and leagues and so this like ribbon is kind of a memento of like where he was and then versus where he is now yeah this episode like really showed like just how much yuki has grown since season one it's it's like (sighs) oh it's just such well done organic character development. Yuki has one of the best character arcs of all time. It's just so fucking good. So good. It feels so genuine and, like, organic, and it feels, like, very human. Yeah. It's, like, it's a combination of, like, it's, it really has everything of, like, other people, like, learning to lean on other people, but also learning to fight for yourself, learning to accept love and love other people, and love- it's just, like, it's got- it's got everything. It's got, like, all of these different elements, and, like, it just- it feels so real, and it is so good. It's so well-written. It's so well-written. Oh, that was such a good episode. I know there's a post credit scene, but, like, I was, like- uh, it was so good, and I'm glad because I was really excited for this one. Um, and then the post credit scene. Yeah, that was that was fun. That Aww. was cute. It was very. Um... <laughs> the way Machi, Machi sees him and she's like, "I'm not even gonna fucking bother. I'm out of here." <laughs> she like awkward. I like her like little crab walk, like awkward. Like she like lifts up her arms and is like, "Uh uh-uh. uh, no. nope, we're not doing this. There can't be two of them. I can't handle that." Yeah. I love that, like, I don't even know how Ayami found, like, he just, like, him and, like, Kakaru probably, like, fucking, like, magnets just homed in on each other. (laughs) Like, fucking ribbon of fate. He probably went to the student council room to introduce himself to the student council because he knows that Yuki's the president. And then him and Kakaru started talking and they were like, holy shit, we're in love with each other. (laughs) Yeah. Absolute chaos. Delightful. They're so funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, wow, that was a fucking episode, huh? That was so an episode. So much wow. extremely an episode. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Check us out on Twitter and Tumblr at Soma So Good. If there's anything you want to ask us or anything you want us to discuss, please be sure to hit us up on social media. Thanks and see you next time. Bye!